This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of For Real is sponsored by Spirit Run by Noea Alvarez, on sale now from Catapult. Spirit Run is the electrifying debut memoir of a son of working-class Mexican immigrants who fled a life of labor in fruit-packing plants to run in the Peace and Dignity Journey, a Native American marathon from Canada to Guatemala, challenging himself to reimagine North America and his place in it. The book combines a classic heart-pounding adventure memoir with a sharply resonant take on the realities of indigenous communities and working-class life in colonized societies. It's both for fans of Wild and The Line Becomes a River. It's also perfect for runners and readers of books like Running Home or Born to Run. This story is not just about Noe Alvarez. It's also a history of his family, the journeys his parents took to the United States, and portraits of all the runners who joined him on the run and what brings them together. So that is Spirit Run by Noe Alvarez. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukra, and fellow writer Alice Burton. We're recording this week's episode on Thursday, February 27th. Hello, Alice. How are you today? I am great. How are you doing? I am also doing pretty great. Uh, it was finally, I'm going to tell you about the weather because that's what I always do. Uh, it was finally really nice last weekend and I went out for a walk outside, uh, like three miles around a lake and it was amazing to get actual sunlight on my actual face. Uh, so doing good. That's a, that's that important vitamin D you got. Um, mm-hmm. we were talking about television right before the we podcast were. started mm-hmm. and I would just like to real quick, I'm going to call this our follow up because. <laughs> We are following up after watching TV. Okay, so I never get through series, and I am watching The Witcher, and I love it. I didn't play the video game at all. I know nothing about it, but uh, I really love, love Yennefer because she is awesome. <laughs> That's my entire reasoning. So I have not watched that because it looked scary. Is it scary or is it cool? It's not scary. It's not scary at Something all. Something about it looks really scary, doesn't it? There's, like, yeah, it's just because of the color palette. There's, like, definitely a scene where he's fighting, like, a sort of terrifying monster in an old castle, but... Maybe that's what I... I am scared of everything, and I was not scared of this show. Got it. See, because, like, my TV watching lately has been mostly, like... Shows like The Good Place or other like comfort TV comedies. So I'm rewatching Brooklyn Nine Nine right now. Um, so that's the show. kind of like thing that I am in the mood for. I'm like finally catching up on the end of Brooklyn Nine Nine, and by the end, I mean season six. Mm-hmm. And it's so well done and so good. I know. We just got into um like midway of season two, and I feel like end of season one into beginning middle of season two is when they finally just like hit their stride, and it is so funny um every cold open in the last like six episodes we've watched has been hilarious uh i just love it amazing i should restart it from the beginning it's funny anyway everyone add us about what you're watching yes we're interested yes. kim the dork and it's alice time i do watch a lot more tv than is recommended for <laughs> any person probably i feel like that's normal for the times in which we oh, live God. uh 
Let's get into our other sponsor for the episode, Libro.fm. Kim, did you know that Libro.fm lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore? I did know that. I use it. Well, that's amazing. Okay, so <laughs> you can you can pick from more than a hundred thousand audiobooks, which is bananas, including New York Times bestsellers and some of the hottest new audiobook releases like The Testaments by Margaret Atwood or The Starless Sea by Aaron Morgenstern, which I read and it was magical. Um, there's also Children of Virtue and Vengeance by Tomi Adeyemi, Over the Top by Queer Eyes Jonathan Van Ness. With Libra.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there, but... Listeners of For Real can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. So that's three months for one month. Sign up with code BR3 at Libro.fm before Saturday, April 25th, and you'll get two extra audiobooks delivered that day. Why? I'm going to tell you. In celebration of Independent Bookstore Day. So this is this one-day party. It's taking place at local bookstores all across the country. And it's this day to celebrate the unique ways that your local bookstore and booksellers contribute to your community. So to take advantage of that, go to Libro.fm, use the code BR3 to get three months of audiobooks for the price of one. That is an amazing deal. Definitely go do that. That's awesome. All right, so we will um, get into our first segment, which is nonfiction news. Um, we have two uh, news items to share, one that is kind of sad and one that I think is kind of funny. So um, the first one is uh, the story I'm going to link to is from the Washington Post, and it is that Katherine Johnson, who is one of the women um, profiled in Hidden Figures, who was part uh, of NASA during the 1960s and helped during the space race, um, she died at 101 uh, last week, um, which is – Really sad news. So she, um, the, uh, the obituary I'm going to link to, I don't think mentions the book and mostly talks about the movie Hidden Figures. But, uh, if you have not read the book Hidden Figures, you absolutely should. Um, it's all about, um, oh no, it does mention the book. Thank goodness. So it's all about the black women who were hired by NASA to basically be human computers and do the calculations that helped, uh, launch, uh, humans to the moon. Um, but Katherine Johnson actually kind of moved up in that and uh, was a huge part of that story. Um, and she was recognized, I think, with a Presidential Medal of Freedom several years ago and um, just was a really cool, cool lady. So that was, um, I think, sad news. Yeah. Um, also, yeah, no, I think that I haven't actually read the book Hidden Figures yet, and I'm really looking forward to. I know that the author, her dad worked at NASA, the Langley Research mm -hmm. Center. Um, and so I think it's cool, right, that like she grew up with this kind of thing and then she got really into the research of it and ended up making this story huge. Like so many people have read that book and seen that movie. Mm -hmm. And that, and so Katherine Johnson was able to be celebrated within her lifetime, which is just such an awesome thing. Yeah, and I think Hidden Figures too is one of those books that was one of the first ones to really do that thing of exploring like the hidden women who made big discoveries and were a huge part of that. So I think the book gets a little credit for helping kick off that trend, and so uh, I think that's neat too. I will say too, there's um. There's some kids' versions of that book or, like, stories about hit on Katherine Johnson, like, kids nonfiction. And there's also a, a YA version of Hidden Figures. So um, that might be a good one to pick up, too, if you are not ready for the full book. But it's a super readable, interesting book. So um, worth picking up, I would say. 
So then our, our second piece of news is a little goofier. Um, and it's, uh, the article is from Apartment Therapy and it is about the most popular self-help books in every state. So, um, there was an acupuncture company, uh, conducted a research study looking at the most popular self-improvement books of all time in every state. Um, they did this by looking, using Google Trends. They pulled the most popular titles and then analyzed the most searched books to try and figure out the most popular ones of all time. So they have a, the article has a funny infographic um, that shows yeah, the states and then it has the book covers in it. Uh, and there is a surprising number of states where The Secret is the most popular self-help book of all time. Yes! <laughs> Secret! So do you like ironically love that book or do you genuinely love that book? I feel like if I say that I genuinely love it, that I'm opening myself up to being mocked. <laughs> but what I will say about The Secret is that I think that it works in that it helps you very explicitly state your intentions and like because it's the whole thing right is like visualizing so and their idea that they're saying is that if you visualize it it's going to magically come to you what really kind of happens is that if you visualize it you see it as a real possibility and you make it concrete you give yourself a concrete goal mm. and so it makes it a lot easier to take steps towards it so the kind of um method of the secret i find to be very helpful and i was very into it in my 20s <laughs> That's funny. Um, let's see. Other popular books on this map. Uh, the Gifts of Imperfection by Mindy Brown was the most popular book in Texas. Shonda Rhimes' The Year of Yes is most popular in states like New York and Ohio. And the uh, Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up by Marie Kondo is very popular in Indiana and Tennessee, uh, a few other states. Um, Minnesota's most popular book is one that I have actually not read called Heart Talk by um, Cleo Ware, I think. Um, so I, after I saw this, I put the hold on it at the library because I, I, I didn't know that one. Um, North and South Dakota, like Rachel Hollis. Just kind of a bummer, but that's all right for them. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, I don't know. I love stuff like this where you get to, you know, pick the something for every state because they're great for arguments. Will our podcasts feud with Rachel Hollis that she doesn't know about <laughs> ever come to fruition? I don't even know if it's really like a feud so much as it's just like your book isn't as good as everyone thinks and there are better versions of it, which is a bummer. <laughs> and also acknowledge your privilege, woman. Come on. Oh, yeah, that's that's the main that's thing. That's the main thing. Acknowledge the privilege. Yeah, there we go. Which I think is a fair thing to ask of someone who has, you know, a lot of money and sold a bunch of books, but whatever. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Willing to those. Uh, and we are into new books, uh, which is books that have come out recently or are coming out soon that we are excited about or have read and can recommend. So, Alice, you are first. I am. Okay. So my first pick for this week is Minor Feelings, an Asian American Reckoning by Kathy Park Hong. It's out February 25th from One World. Um, Kathy Park Hong is a poet. She's an essayist. Um, the reason that I was initially really interested in this book is that, um, Claudia Rankine actually gave it an amazing blurb on the cover. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, like if she is basically saying you should read this book to become more human. Um, then I should read this book. So what this is is a blend of memoir and cultural criticism and history to um, – they the publisher phrases it as expose fresh truths about racialized consciousness in America. So what um, she's doing is the central idea is this idea of minor feelings. And what she calls minor feelings are the emotions we are accused of having when we decide to be difficult. In other words, when we decide to be honest. Honest. 
When minor feelings are finally externalized, they are interpreted as hostile, ungrateful, jealous, depressing, and belligerent. Affects ascribed to racialized behavior that whites consider out of line. Our feelings are overreactions because our lived experiences of structural inequity are not commensurate with their deluded reality. Which I was like, that is powerful Ooh. language. I know. <laughs> and, I mean, she's a poet. This is one of the reasons I love when poets mm -hmm. write nonfiction because they are very deliberate about their word choice and not that you know non-poets aren't but i feel like poets have this very distinct voice um that's within their kind of framework of poetry and it shows up in really delightful ways so she grew up um kathy park hong the daughter of korean immigrants and uh what she, they call steeped in quote shame suspicion and melancholy and so again they talk about this whole idea um Kathy Barkong talks about this idea of minor feelings happening when this American optimism contradicts your own reality. And um, these minor feelings are not small, but they're dissonant. And kind of um, she specifically addresses the question of Asian Americans and saying that they occupy this kind of purgatory of racial trauma that many don't even realize exists because, uh, again, quote, most white Americans could only understand racial trauma as a spectacle and not this quiet, persistent pain. Um, again, it's just, I feel like it's an important book from the standpoint of saying something, drawing attention to something that isn't necessarily always drawn attention to, and this idea, again, of this minor feelings um, thesis. So, and it's it's a pretty quick book. I always want to recommend <laughs> quick books because I feel like everyone is always intimidated by these larger things, but no, it's, it's really good. Um, again, that is Minor Feelings, an Asian American Reckoning by Kathy Park Hong. Oh, that sounds really good. I'm glad she talks about that one again. And I, I'm with you on blurbs. Like, I know that they're marketing, and I know that a lot of that's like, who do you know, and who can you get to, like, do you a favor? But man, a really good blurb. Like, I am I'm easily convinced. So that one definitely would have. Those people that you know, they don't have to say an amazing thing about your book. Mm -hmm. They could just be like, Excellent. this was beautiful. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very good. Excellent pick. All right. Um, so my first pick is uh, called Rust, A Memoir of Steel and Grit by Elise Colette Goldbach. Uh, it came out March 3rd from Flattering Books, or it's coming out March 3rd, so I guess the day the podcast drops. Um, and it is about a, a young woman who gets a job in a Cleveland steel mill in her 20s and about her experience uh, being a steel worker. So um, she uh, went to college and then went to get her MFA and um, didn't quite finish up the MFA for a variety of reasons and so is in a position in her mid-20s of like just like not being able to really find a job. It was in the middle of the recession and um, she's working part-time as a house painter. And eventually she goes through the whole rigmarole and gets hired at the Arcor Middle Steel Mill in Cleveland, Ohio, um, and starts as a what they call an orange hat um, to get trained to work at the mill. And so um, the mill, um, she writes about how it represents um, – that what she's trying to escape, trying to get out of Cleveland where she grew up, um, but also kind of um, that it provides an opportunity for financial security for people who have student loans and not a lot of other um, economic opportunity in that area or for other reasons. Um, and so she, um, the book is also a memoir about her childhood as she grew up in Ohio in this very conservative Christian and very Republican home. So she kind of writes about 
growing up in that mindset and in with those opinions and then how um, over time that changed and what she learned as a as she grew older and went to college and met new people and all those kinds of things um and then about what she learns working at the mill and the kind of connection she builds with her co-workers and the other people who are there um and kind of the experience that they all have of putting themselves in danger in extreme danger in some cases, despite the safety precautions that they're instructed to take um, for the problem in these exhausting, dirty, um, dangerous jobs um, for the opportunity to have financial security um, and what that kind of is like for all of them and how different people who are working there um, kind of grapple with those conflicting um, kinds of feelings and experiences. So the book jacket describes it as something like hillbilly elegy or educated. Um, and so I went in thinking it would be like that. And I actually think it's a lot more interesting than, um, than that. It is a, and it's not just a book about a person giving you a peek into the rust belt. It is a really sweeping, very deep and personal memoir. Um, she writes, there's nothing in the book jacket, but she writes a lot about, um, she lives with a mental illness. I think it was bi- a bipolar disorder. Um, and so she writes about that and how that affected her ability to go to school and her ability even to work in the mill because the demands of the schedule really affected her and, and not being able to get on a regular sleep cycle really affected her mental health. And so she writes a lot about her um, mental health journey and her experiences that way. Um, she also, um, as a content warning, she experienced a violent sexual assault when she was a college student. And so there's um, some in the book about that too. And there's a lot about kind of gender and um, and, and that kind of thing too. So um, it is a book that I think is getting marketed as like uh, another hillbilly elegy, but it's really, I think, a lot more um, comprehensive and complicated than than that in a good way. Um, it went in a bunch of de- directions I wasn't expecting, and I thought it was really interesting. So um, I, I love this one. I finished it, and I just, um, it's really it's really good and unexpected in some some cool ways. So uh, that is Rust, A Memoir of Steel and Grit by Elise Collette Goldbach. I'm really glad that you kind of countered the marketing for that because mm. I've only – I feel like Hillbilly Elegy came out and got a lot of press and then I, I started hearing a backlash to it um, to the point that I decided not to read it because there were people basically saying there are much better books about this kind of thing than this book um, and the narrative that it's telling. So if this is kind of – delving into so much more then that's awesome to hear because i am really excited about this one and i think it was one of those um kind of like buzz books yeah. for the first half of the year um so um thank you kim for your glowing recommendation of that you're so welcome <laughs> so my second pick i feel like this kind of ties in with yours so it is yellow bird Oil, Murder, and a Woman's Search for Justice in Indian Country by Sierra Crane Murdoch. It's out February 25th from Random House. Sierra Crane Murdoch spent eight years investigating uh, this story, which uh, in in essence is uh, the examination of the legacy of systematic violence inflicted on a tribal nation and um, sort of story of healing that comes along with that. So Sierra Crane Murdoch spent a lot of time with the main figure in the story who is named Yellowbird. Her name is Lisa Yellowbird. And her investigation or search for what happened to this um, young white oil worker, Christopher Casey Clark. So this all takes place in North Dakota. 
And there's a lot um, – the the central parts of the story are the oil boom that happened right after the, the recession um, in the Dakotas and kind of that area. Mm-hmm. Um, so right around 2009, 2010. And so they – all of a sudden, there was all of the – the unemployment was very high and almost all the new jobs were being created in like the Dakotas. So all these people were going there and the tribe – the tribes that were living there were getting a lot of money, but then also their landscape, like from the oil people leasing their land. But then the landscape was changing a ton. So like Lisa Yellowbird, she was in prison and she got out and her home looked very different because all this infrastructure had been built up by the oil companies. And then she finds out that Casey, this young worker, dis- disappeared from his reservation work site and no one knew where he was no one seemed to care except for his roommate and then eventually his mom who he was estranged from who so she her mom his mom had posted and lisa yellowbird saw this like post on like facebook and got in contact with her and was like i can help i live on the reservation i can take you around and so the book traces her steps as she's kind of like obsessively getting into searching for where casey went and so she's like you know kind of navigating like her own tribe and which has been kind of changed by all this wealth that it's acquired and then the non-native oil men um who a lot of them come from poverty and are just you know trying to have a job and so she's like working with those cultures and then also the people who are higher up in the the whole oil business it's it's got a lot of layers it's really fascinating and again again sort of this story for it's just it's about a search for justice but also gets really into who lisa yellowbird is as a person um who is she's a very complicated figure so again that is yellowbird oil murder and a woman's search for justice in indian country by sierra crane murdoch so i have two things to to say as a follow-up to that one um, the first one is uh, layered is the word that I wish that I had said about uh, rust. I think that's a really good way to describe that book, too, that there are many layers. So good job on that one. Um, and then right. I saw that you mentioned this one in the um, True Story newsletter this week. And I read the blurb and I was like, oh, my gosh, why didn't I read that book? And I went out and bought it the same day. And I'm going to read it this weekend because um, it sounds amazing. So, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Your your description now also made me really glad that I bought it because it sounds awesome. It sounds right up my alley. So excellent pick. Really cool. Um, all right. So my uh, last pick for new books, my last full pick for new books, uh, is actually the same book that sponsored and opened our episode, Spirit Run, a 6,000-mile marathon through North America stolen land by Noe Alvarez. Um, and I picked this book that I was going to talk about, and I was like – more than halfway through when we found out it was going to be a sponsor and I decided we're just going to go with it anyway because I'm really enjoying it. And so the opportunity to talk about it again, I would happily take it. So um, the book opens, uh, Noe Alvarez, his parents are um, Mexican immigrants. They are working in a uh, his mom works in a fruit packing plant and his dad does kind of different jobs in their uh, community of Yakima, Washington. And he um, thinks that he is going to continue to work at the fruit packing plant um, when he gets done with high school. But he gets a um, scholarship to a uh, Washington University. And so he goes there and is a first generation college student, but really, really struggles and doesn't just doesn't seem to fit in and can't can't get his footing there. And so um, while he is in school, he sees this poster for um, what are called peace and dignity journeys. And it's this marathon that connects native tribes across North America from Alaska all the way down to Guatemala. Um, and groups of runners um, run the route all the way through that, um, all the way across North America for 
every four years. And he sees that one of them is coming up in the next, I think it's like two months away or something. Um, so he decides that he is going to, to participate in that. So he drops out of school and joins the run. Um, and the other runners who are, um, most of them, uh, native people from different tribes along the road who are there, um, trying to participate. And so the memoir is about his four months participating in the run, as well as um, a book about um, indigenous and working class people and how they are pushing back against um, capitalism and capitalist society and all of the things that sort of dehumanize us in really different ways. Um, So he also tells stories about his parents and their journey from Mexico to Washington State um, and kind of his dreams for what might happen after he finishes this run. Um, I don't know how it ends because I'm only, let's see, I think my Kindle says me at like 55% done, but it's so, it's so interesting. He's, um, it's one of those books where you sort of are like looking at the main character being like, man, you are making some crazy decisions here because just like dropping out of school to decide to run, you know, marathon length runs every couple of days um, without much training just seems kind of bananas to me. But also like respect that people do that stuff and it's really cool and kind of the issues that they're uncovering and learning about and the debates that he's having with the other runners and the participants are just really, really fascinating. And um, the way he writes about his family is very, um, it's very moving and um, really gives you a vivid glimpse into um, particularly his mother and what her life has been like. And I have found that very, um, very moving too. So we thank them for sponsoring us, but also a book I can recommend. It's really, really good and I'm enjoying it quite a bit. So uh, that is Spirit Run, a 6,000 mile marathon through North America, Stolen Land by Noe Alvarez. A Book Riot favorite. Awesome. Yes. A bunch of other Book Riot people have read it and loved it. So multiple uh, endorsements. Um, Before we shift gears into our theme, I just wanted to mention two other books that are coming out um, around the time of this podcast that we didn't mention, but I think are going to be big books of the year. Um, The first one is The Splendid in the Vile, a saga of Churchill family and defiance during the Blitz by Eric Larson. Um, That one came out February 25th. Um, Eric Larson has written a bunch of books. Uh, Thunderstruck. Um, what's the true crime one? Did he do Devil in the White City? Devil in the White City. That's Great. it. Um, so he is he is super popular, very well-known uh, nonfiction writer. I am not particularly interested in another World War II book, but um, I know a lot of people who are. So The Splendid in the Vile is out now. And then um, one that I'm bummed I haven't gotten to read yet is uh, Go to Sleep, I Miss You, Cartoons from the Fog of New Parenthood by Lucy Kinsley. Um, she's a really charming cartoonist. She writes these really fun cartoon memoirs. Um, and this book is a collection of kind of one-off cartoons that she posted on Instagram um, right after the birth of her son. Um, So it's all about um, just having a newborn baby and some kind of cute cartoons about that. So um, that one is out, I think, February 25th, too. So a couple more to to look for. Can I add one to that that list? Yeah, yeah. Because I'm bummed that I forgot to mention it. It's um, Too Much, How Victorian Constraints Still Bind Mm -hmm. Women Today by Rachel Verona Cote. It's got such a cool, like, 19th century cover with this, like, pouting woman with red hair. And uh, it's very Dante Gabrielle Rossetti-ish. And uh, it's just – it's very sort of in the line of – is it Too Fat, Too Slutty, Too Loud Mm -hmm. Um, by Anne Helen Peterson? I was – Good. Yep. Questioning around her name. But anyway, um, Too Much by Rachel Verona Cote uh, is talking about how women are called too much and why that is garbage. So check that out. Excellent. Excellent. 
Uh, all right, so we will shift into our um, weekly theme segment, and we are gonna we're revisiting one that we've done a couple of times before, which is International Women's Day, um, which I think is actually the very the theme of the very first full podcast we did, if I am remembering correctly, right? Oh yeah, let's say so, even if it's not true. <laughs> I'm, it was one of the first couple, and so we return to that one every year. So this will actually be our third um, International Women's Day episode. Um, and I, I pulled in our notes a list of all the previous books that we recommended. Are there any on that list that you particularly love, Alice, that you want to, like, mention again? Well, I'm always a big fan of talking about Banana Neras, uh, Women Transforming the Banana Unions of Latin America by Dana Frank, mm. because the cover's <laughs> bright yellow. <laughs> <laughs> I really love it. And it's about an important topic. So there's like a multiple win. But again, Banana Neris. Check it out. Such a good one. I mean, one of the ones that I have loved the most is a book called I Should Have Honor, A Memoir of Hope and Pride in Pakistan by Khalida Brohi, um, which is about um, her activism as a young woman um, trying to prevent honor killings in Pakistan. And it is um, – it's it's great. It's such a good book. Um, definitely, if you're a person who liked I Am Malala, that is kind of in the same vein, I would say. So I just realized I added another syllable to the title of that book that I like. It's actually <laughs> Banan. Wait, Bananera. Yep, Bananera. It's more fun with more syllables. I know. Whatever. <laughs> All right. So um, we're going to do more books for International Women's Day, um, and I. Um, not super intentionally, but I ended up reading, um, a couple of comics that I was really excited about. So then I decided I would talk about three comics, um, and only do comics for this one because we haven't really done any comics previously for these. So, um, the first one is called Dare to Disappoint by Oze Samanchi. And it is a, um, a 2015 memoir by a woman who grew up in Turkey, um, her parents, like, wanted her to sort of be a quote-unquote normal kid and pursue kind of kid interests, but then also um, they were really pushing her into a career in, like, math and science or engineering and really wanted her to go that way because they thought that was a way to kind of success. Um, she was, like, a weird kid and didn't really, like, want those things. She wanted adventure and fun and all these other kinds of things. And so the book is um, a collection of cartoons about kind of her pushing back against her parents' expectations and then, like, kind of pushing against some of the uh, religious and military um, tensions in Turkey at the time that she was growing up. Um, so it follows her from when she's a kid and into college and adulthood where she really tries to go to this math and science college but then also wants to be an artist. And so she's kind of pursuing both of those things and eventually tries to kind of get out of from the expectations her parents have for her. Um, and I, the drawings in this one are really, really funny. Um, she has this very, like, I was going to say cartoony style, but we're talking about comic books. So like, obviously it's cartoony, but, um, she always draws herself as this kid with this like really big thing of like yellow blonde hair against a lot of other kind of black and white or not very colorful drawings. So she always kind of sticks out as this oddball and then, um, does this thing where she kind of makes collages and then takes pictures of them. So you actually get to see these physical collages she put together, um, that kind of help illustrate pieces of the story too. So it's a really, um, um, just like a fun book that I kind of randomly found at the library that I thought was really good. So sometimes it's fun to just pick up something you don't know a lot about. Um, so that was this one. It was Dare to Disappoint by Jose Samanti. Oh, that's awesome. That style like vaguely reminds me of Good Talk. Um, I think not because mm. she used real photos, but just the idea of like a very distinct, different kind of uh, outlay with your kind of graphic. Am I making any sense? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, yeah. <laughs> 
You're like, just a, <laughs> just a smidge. It's fine. I mean, because she uses just one image of the people talking throughout it. Yeah. And then it illustrates so many different emotions, though. It's so fascinating. Anyway, my pick is Speaking Truth to Power by Anita Hill. So, gosh, I really wanted to talk about this for a number of reasons. One is, of course, the recent testimony with Brett Kavanaugh and Christine Blasey Ford. There were a lot of um, echoings back to Anita Hill. What I thought was extra interesting about it was that a lot of millennials, we were not really aware of the Anita Hill um, Mm -hmm. hearing. Like, well, there are the Clarence Thomas hearings of Anita Hill, like with Anita Hill testifying. But point being there it was such a similar set of circumstances happening. And it felt like if you read, you know, about what happened, it was just Almost exactly the same, except with Anita Hill, the incidents described had happened much more recently and were also just pretty much dismissed. And of course, Clarence Thomas is still a justice on the United States Supreme Court. So in Speaking Truth to Power, she talks about her childhood in Oklahoma and kind of goes through her career and up to the um, Senate Judiciary proceedings and this kind of, you know, uh, extreme scrutiny of the media that happened. She um, was sexually harassed by Clarence Thomas, and then she came forward, not necessarily of her own volition, but she ended up testifying um, at his hearings. And it became this national debate to the point that um, the show Designing Women, I've this is this before the like as a child, my only reference for the Anita Hill testimony was there was a Designing Women episode and Mary Jo had a shirt that said he did it. And the kind of antagonistic um, character had a shirt that says she lied. And that was, you know, like boiling it down. And again, this it's so echoing of today and like just what happened with Christine Blasey Ford, where people are saying these two sides. And um, so to sort of Anita Hill is an extremely impressive person. And uh, I highly recommend learning more about her if you don't know her story. Again, that is Speaking Truth to Power by Anita Hill. Oh, I have a paired reading for it, which is Strange Justice, the selling of Clarence Thomas by Jane Mayer and Jill Abramson. It was a uh, National Book Award finalist. Ooh, good pick. So this is any other thing my memoir, or is it more? Yeah, it's it's her memoir, but more sort of like ex- focusing, I think, on the actual hearings um, in order to sort of tell her story. Cool. Very cool. Really good pick. All right, so my second pick is a, a teen graphic memoir um, called Almost American Girl by Robin Ha. And it is the story. Uh, Robin grew up uh, in Seoul, Korea. Um, she, it was kind of her and her mom against everybody else because her father was not in the picture, which um, was really a difficult thing given kind of conservative culture there. Um, there were a lot of stigma, and her mom faced a lot of um uh, adversity and gossip and all sorts of things because of her choice to be a single mother. Um, so when she is a teenager, they, she and her mom go on a vacation to Alabama. And then uh, midway through the trip, her mom says, uh, we're not going back to Korea. Um, I'm getting married to uh, this man that we're visiting and we're going to live in the United States in Alabama. Um, and this is like predictably a shocking thing for this young woman to experience. Um, she doesn't really speak English very well. She doesn't know anyone in Alabama. Um, obviously the culture in Alabama is super different from, uh, where she would grow up in Korea. And so she finds herself cut. This is an older, or she's 
I don't remember exactly what year she comes over, but the it's not there's no internet, so she's essentially cut off from all of her friends and back home. She has a real struggle to be understood because her English is not very good and um, people are not particularly kind to her. Um, she struggles to connect with her stepfamily and just is now then angry with her mother, who is the person who is kind of always on her side. And so um, she uh, eventually her mom signs her up for a, a, a comics drawing class and that helps to kind of turn things around and help her kind of find her place here in the United States. But uh, the book is a lot about just that struggle for, for acceptance and finding yourself in a place where you feel unwelcome. Um, I, I love the illustrations in this one. They are very, um, they're more like drawings and they're more, they look almost like watercolor illustrated. I don't think that it's really done with watercolors, but that's kind of how it looks. Um, and then she does this very cool thing in the text where um, when the characters are speaking in – it's, it's all in English, but when the characters are should be speaking to each other in Korean, she um, puts that in blue. And then when they're speaking in English to each other, it's in black. And so you get this really cool feeling of like – when she feels actually understood and when she doesn't and when she can understand what people are saying to her and when she can't um, and how challenging it was for her really coming to the United States and just having this immense language barrier between herself and her teachers and her peers. Um, and it's uh, it's young adults, so I think it's kind of the targeted at kids and kind of those experiences. But I think so I think there's a lot of like universal kinds of things about being a teenager and just like feeling misunderstood, but that hers is pretty significantly um, more difficult given the language barriers she's facing. So um, I really liked this one. I read it in like an afternoon. It was really, it was really good. So uh, Almost American Girl by Robin Ha. I am going to put that on hold at my library right now because that sounds really, really good. Good job, Kim. And like, it's so nice to like split stuff up with graphic memoirs um, just because they are usually, you know, like you can get through them faster and then you also are like experiencing a different genre than your norm maybe. And yeah, awesome. Um, so my other pick for International Women's Day is The Glass Universe, How the Ladies of the Harvard Observatory Took the Measure of the Stars by Deva Sobel. Uh, this is another kind of in that uh, hidden figures kind of mold. It was published in 2016, so after that, um, and again looks at previously an, a previously overlooked group of women. So in the mid-19th century, the Harvard College Observatory started employing women as calculators, which is actually what, again, was happening at Hidden Figures like 100 years later. Um, so this is a, a human computer. So they were supposed to interpret the observations that their male counterparts, who were, you know, known as the actual astronomers, um, <laughs> made via telescope each night. So initially, this was like the wives and sisters and daughters of the astronomers, but um, new women's colleges were coming up. So like Vassar and Wellesley and Smith had women getting degrees and who were more trained. And so they started – oh, and then photography came into being. So the ladies started turning from computation to studying the stars on the glass photographic plates, hence the glass universe, which – is first of all like a beautiful title, but also was just the name of this. They had half a million, 500,000 glass plates were at Harvard, just like taken of the stars, which I think is kind of also beautiful as just this idea that's so many. So 
there was this was because of the uh, financial support of Anna Palmer Draper, who was this um, the widow of a pioneer in um, quote stellar photography. So again, stellar meaning star related, which is kind of fun, great because we use that different. Sorry, I'm getting super nerded out right now with this book, <laughs> but so this uh, among these women were uh, Wilhelmina Fleming, who was a Scottish woman originally hired as a maid, who then identified 10 novae and more than 300 variable stars which is like so cool um annie jump cannon who designed a stellar classification system that is still in use like worldwide which is also amazing and then dr cecilia helena payne who in 1956 became the first ever woman professor of astronomy at harvard and harvard's first female department chair this is so awesome. So many cool women to read about. Again, that is The Glass Universe, How the Ladies of the Harvard Observatory Took the Measure of the Stars by Deva Sobel. God, that sounds really good. I love that subtitle too, like The Measure of the Stars. Like yes. that's just such a – yeah. Oh, man, that sounds so good. Excellent pick. Um, I have one more quick graphic novel pick for National Women's Days. Uh, it's called The Best We Could Do by T. Bowie. Um, and this is a uh, story, it's a memoir portraying a family's journey from war-torn Vietnam to uh, the United States. And so um, I read this one a little while ago, so uh, it's not as fresh in my memory as the other two. But uh, her family uh, escaped uh, South Vietnam in the 1970s from the country. Um, and it's about kind of how it how hard it was for them to build a new lives for themselves. So um, when she was working on this book, she um, interviewed her parents to try and like get them to tell her their story in more detail because it's not something that they had shared with her for much of her life. Um, and so it's really this very in-depth and beautiful family history. Um, so that is paired with kind of the history of Vietnam. Um, and so brings in kind of the things that her parents saw and experienced when they were children and teenagers and then what it was like to try and escape that place to come to the United States after the Vietnam War. So um, the other part about it that I remember being really cool is that um, she also worked on a lot of it after her, her child was born. And so um, her experience as a first-time mother and how um, becoming a parent can change your perspective um, affects how she sees the choices that her parents made. And so she kind of ties all of those different things together in this really lovely, um, lovely book. I remember it's it's beautifully illustrated and um, just a really like moving family story. So um, I believe it's award winning. I can't remember which award, but it's definitely um, well regarded. So that is uh, The Best We Could Do by T. Bowie. And so that is uh, the last pick for our third annual International Women's Day episode, which is one of my favorite topics to come back to because there's just so many good good books to grab and talk about. I put two of your books on hold at the library because I'm really excited. That's so good. I love it. All right. So we will uh, wrap up this week's episode as we normally do by talking about the books that we are reading um, right now. And we uh, have decided that this segment we had in the past uh, focused exclusively on nonfiction that we are reading, but we have decided to uh, open it up to any book that we are reading right now because uh, we contain multitudes and you can read more than just nonfiction, even if it is the best. So Yes, but I'm actually reading a nonfiction book right now, not fiction. So I have a lot of announcement and fanfare for not much of a change, but that's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, so the book that I uh, have checked out from the library now is called The Art of Noticing, 131 Ways to Spark Creativity, Find Inspiration, and Discover Joy in the Everyday by Rob Walker. Uh, and so this is just a uh, kind of a little book that is all about um, noticing things. And so um, he talks about the kind of the importance of observing and looking around the world and seeing 
things and paying attention to everything. And then it's basically just a whole bunch of little exercises in paying attention. And so they're kind of organized by difficulty. Uh, and each of them has kind of a story or a reason why he's suggesting you participate in an activity. And then it kind of tells you how to do it. Um, and so it's just a bunch of kind of activities encouraging you to just like pay a little more closer attention to the world. Um, so it's kind of fun. I haven't decided if I'm going to like try to do the activities or not, but it's kind of fun to just like open them up and read the stories and kind of get an idea of things that you can try to be more observant about. So uh, The Art of Noticing by Rob Walker. Oh, that's really nice. Uh, I'm reading a fiction book, so I'm going to talk Yay. about that. Uh, it is Lent by Joe Walton. I have never read anything by Joe Walton, but I've heard good things. And I'm really enjoying it so far. Uh, she seems very nerdy in <laughs> in the, the whole, like, fiction category. Um, so it's essentially – also, it's Lent as of Wednesday. So I was like, why not read the book Lent? right now um it's about uh demons and uh brother girolamo savonarola which at first they were just calling him girolamo and it took me a while to suddenly be like wait 1400s florence and his name is girolamo and then all like the page after that they called him by savonarola and i was like oh dang so this was a very charismatic monk in 15th century florence and I read a book by George Eliot called Ramala, which is all about him. And it's a really uh, not – it's her worst book. But I read it. And it's – I really wanted the main character to fall in love with Savonarola and it didn't happen. And I'm still mad about it. But um, regardless, I'm – thus far, I'm, I'm enjoying Lent. I think that as I am reading more fiction and getting – like I'm still mostly reading nonfiction, but I'm trying to do more fiction in the mix. I'm discovering I really – like some sci-fi fantasy like i think that's one of my definite preferred genres mm -hmm. and um i i love a, a good world building uh, scenario and i think that this whole setup with um demons and and savonarola is going to be really awesome so psyched about that uh and in conclusion you can find us on social media i am at it's alice time and kim is at kim the dork and if you feel so inclined, uh, we would love it if you would take a few minutes to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Um, that helps people find us more easily. And while you're there, you can subscribe so that you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. And so with that, I'm Kim Ugra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the 4 Real Podcast. Podcast.